fair state types. Uh, One of us is a stand-up comic. Can you tell who it is, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Peckerwood Brick. Um. <laughs> but the problem. <laughs> Oh my god, that's like, I could use that to teach the whole arc. Do we have any kind of archaeological evidence, any kind of, any kind of other corroborating evidence? This is still a Geek History of Time. Where we bring nerdery into the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher at a school here in California. I'm also a new father of a now 10-month-old son. Uh, and my earliest experience with uh, science fiction as, as such uh, would be reading Have Space Suit Will Travel by Robert Heinlein in the sixth grade. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it actually goes back much farther than that because I picked up my father's copy of The Hobbit when I was about eight. Oh, and I didn't really catch all of what I was reading, but I knew I was hooked. Sure. So, how about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. Uh, I am a Latin teacher, formerly a social science teacher, uh, up here in Sacramento, uh, in California. And uh, my first uh, exposure to sci-fi was, I guess it had to be just Star Wars, like, in terms of uh, literature, though. I don't know. There was, I remember there was a book called uh, Space Guys in Sp Sports Coats, I think. Okay. Guys guys from Space. That's what it was. My mom got okay. that from the library. Um, and that, that might have been my first foray into it, but I never really got into sci-fi reading until I was 19 years old, mm. at which point I still don't even call it sci-fi because they're Star Wars books. Well, and that, Space opera, which yeah. is its own weird, yeah. not really sci-fi, yeah. not... It's space fantasy would yeah. be a very good term for and I say that lovingly. Understand oh, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. Oh, I don't I mind love, judging it as being lesser than sci-fi. I've got no problem with that too. I'm mm. also a huge pro wrestling fan, and so yeah. I'm used to things being judged as lesser than. <laughs> so, so speaking of professional wrestling, yeah. When yeah. last we left our podcast. Yeah, we just found that sports were crooked as shit. Uh <laughs> Like that was. Did we really find that, or, or was that well, just kind of? We'd gotten know? to that in the chronology. I mean, okay. you know, boxing was fixed. Uh, mm -hmm. Wrestling was leaning towards submission and pinfall, and that can be faked. Um, and baseball itself had been had fixed been in corrupted. 1918. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this week uh, we're going to be talking. Uh, we're going to start. We're going to pick back up from there uh, with Frank Gotch. Yes. Um, and George Hackenschmidt. 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 And I wish to sounds, hell. Sounds like my wife's family. <laughs> I mean, that hair, that's that's a German name. Right mm -hmm. there. Oh, and he was called. Well, oh my lord, I'm forgetting. He was the called Bavarian Bruiser. Very close. It was okay. some. It was the something lion, and it was. And it wasn't alliterative. It was. Okay. It was. But it was close to that. Yeah. Okay. But okay, so Prussian lion. No, it wasn't quite that. We'll, we'll look okay, it up. Right. And I would love to show you a picture of him because you're, you're gonna you'd be like, okay, that is a man who looks like a man who would be named George Hackenschmidt. <laughs> <coughs> Frank Gotch looks a little less Frank Gotchy. Okay. Um, but so okay, what you've got here is in the early 1900s, Frank Gotch, who has been trained by Farmer Burns. Who had defeated? Who had de defeated? I'm putting mm -hmm. air quotes around yes. the world word rather. Um, 
the, the original I called him. Ed the Strangler Lewis. Face. Ed the Strangler Lewis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what one of the reasons name. why was because Lewis wanted to retire. But nobody could beat him. It's like Andre the Giant. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What's old is new. Oh, yeah. Well. Uh, you even get to the Montreal screw job of 1997 where Bret Hart is legitimately screwed over. And everybody else says Bret screwed Bret. I think Vince screwed Bret. But Bret Hart is actually screwed over. And it's a big deal. Um, and somebody referred to it as like, oh, my God, they Wendy lewis him. Or Wendy Richtered him. Because that had happened to Wendy Richter in 1984, and <laughs> that had happened to somebody in the 60s. And so it's not... Every, everything old is new again. Yeah. Those who study history are doomed to watch everybody who didn't study history repeat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Frank Gotch, yeah. George Hackenschmidt, yeah. is one of the biggest matches in the history of the sport, ever. So you're not too far from the mark with the Andre the Giant Hulk Hogan reference. Hackenschmidt was successful all over Europe. He was a world champion. Um, Gotch, successful all over the United States. He's a U.S. champion. Now, he and Gotch end up wrestling April 3rd, 1908 in Chicago. Okay. It's a story of new America versus old Europe. That's how it's promoted. Okay. And it was promoted. It was catch style versus European style. And Hackenschmidt had already beaten a very famous American catch wrestler. So you also have a, a story of revenge and redemption okay. going on. 6,000 spectators. Okay. $20 ringside seats. Which, okay, now we that need to clarify. That could have bought you a family. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we, need, we need to clarify that to us, wow, 20 bucks, that's like dirt cheap. But yeah. remember, we're talking about 1908 where, yeah. you know, going out and spending 25 cents on a meal was considered really splurging. Oh, yeah. Well, really splurging. Just for way of comparison, in 1993, I went with my friends to see Guns N' Roses and Metallica with Body Count opening for them. I did not get to see that show when it came to San Diego. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was oh, awesome. God we we literally to. tore up the Oakland Coliseum, wow. which sucked because they had a playoff game the next night. <laughs> <laughs> so I paid $27 for that ticket. And, in and 1993 where, and, and, and where were you? Oh, it's general admission. Oh, you okay. could go. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got down to the pit, yeah. and then right, my right. friends and I we we went back up to the stands because <clears> like this is too big. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was. So nice. for twenty dollars, you got a ringside seat. Man. Yeah. Okay. So, here's how the match goes. It takes two hours. Holy crap! <laughs> and it's a wrestling match, and Gotch decided to wrestle defensively. Defensive wrestling is some boring ass wrestling. Yes. Even if you know what it is. Yeah. It's it's also really, really, really hard to beat if somebody's determined that yeah. I'm just not going to let you get me. Right. It's it's that <laughs> it's it's that episode of Star Trek the Next Generation where Data beats the guy with the little fingery game. Yeah. Yeah. I busted him up, you know. Yeah. After two hours, Hackenschmidt concedes the match. He's tired of it. <laughs> because he got bored? I guess. I mean, okay, I certainly would have. He also, by the way... Or frustrated. Yeah. But Hackenschmidt, um, Gotch, rather, um, head-butted, leaned hard, and thumbed Hackenschmidt everywhere. He's catch-as-catch-can. Hackenschmidt is European. Now, later, Hackenschmidt claims that Gotch comes to the ring oiled up. So he conceded, going, yep, he's the better man. He wins, Uh da-da-da, despite being gouged, thumbs going everywhere, head-butts everywhere. Oil checked. Yep. 
I'm still so. getting over that particular. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but afterward, uh, got, uh, Hackenschmidt says, no, actually, there were some irregularities here. This was a problem, you know, upon further review. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where he'd actually asked the referee during the match to force Gotch to go back and take a hot shower before they continued. Really? He had to scrape all the... Now, Gotch <laughs> denies this. And later on... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I'm good. just like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, this All happens right. in MMA on occasion, by the way. They've created rules to mm-hmm. get around some of this. Like, there was a, a match between two guys where the guy was like, well, his back was all greasier all of a sudden. And they found out that a guy was rubbing his back. He's like, no, no, I was using some sort of, like, mystical energy training thing. And oh, yeah. It, yeah. it's just like, wow. And yeah. so they made a rule about it, about how it you touch. And, like Tiger Ball. Right. No <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. So Gotch denies this, and later on, damns Hackenschmidt as a liar. Oh wow! You have essentially the rubber match getting set up on pay per view. That's what I mean. That's really what it, these guys are publicizing. Mm-hmm. Now, it is not treated as a work. Everybody thinks this is completely real to the point where the history points to it as being a fairly real thing. I don't know, but you do have a rubber match, and to to prove how good he was. Frank Gotch goes on a tear all over, barnstorming everywhere, defeating people everywhere. And he was so good that people started losing interest. Like, he just was destroying people. And it was just like, oh, hey, look what he did. Not even in the fun way that it was to watch Mike Tyson beat people. Mm-hmm. Like, you knew it was coming. You didn't know how or yeah. when. Everybody has a plan right up until he got punched in the face. Right. And, and he's taking old. people out in 93 yeah. seconds, you know, yeah. and, and shit just, like that. Just the photographs of Buster Douglas getting hit. Yeah. The day after in the newspapers. Yeah. I remember. Ooh. So he's so good that people yeah. stop losing, you know, start losing interest in the sport. He beat a man named Stanislaus Zabisko in less than ten seconds. Now Stanislaus Zabisko is one of the Polish wrestlers yeah. who comes over. There were two. There was Vladislav and Stanislaus Zabisko. Wow. These guys. Those are some names. They are. And now here's the interesting thing. There's a wrestler in the 1970s who gets started by training under Bruno San Martino, and he's brought up as Bruno's protege. And his name is Larry Zabisko. He took the name. Okay. It's not really the name, but he took the name and he made himself famous and he was okay. a famous heel. I mean, a really good bad guy. Okay. Um, there have been other wrestlers that have taken the names of old famous wrestlers mm-hmm. because, again, wrestling is a self um, cannibalizing mm-hmm. industry that really ignores its own history most mm-hmm. of the time yeah. so that it can seem new. Um, so he beats this guy in less than 10 seconds. I don't know if it's a work or a shoot. I'm assuming it's a shoot. The way it was mm-hmm. taught in the history is that it's a shoot. In late 1911, uh, he's working with Jack Curley, who's one of the most important... What a name. One of the most <laughs> important... <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to see what gets people snorting. Um, uh, so Jack Curley is one of the most important promoters in the early history of the worked sport. Okay. Of the worked sport, not okay. of the legit sport. Okay. The worked version of it. This guy gets a rematch set up for Comiskey Park in Chicago again. Okay. Curly kept 44000 of the $87,000 gate. Well, of course. Right. What's, what else is he in it for? Right. Now, here's where it gets good. I mean awful. I mean good. <laughs> I mean awful. Hackenschmidt, training for the match, suffered a knee injury. This happens. These things happen. Okay. Now, later, someone would claim that they were paid $5,000 to do it on purpose. 
comes out, I'm the one that did it. I was paid $5,000 to do it so that Hackenschmidt would, lo- would lose. But Hackenschmidt had never mentioned this person as part of his training entourage at all. So it's probably untrue. It's just a guy claiming to yeah, have done yeah, it. Yeah. But he did have what we call water on the knee at the time. Okay. So fast forward a little bit. Most of the big wrestling promoters are out of the Northeast, like I told yeah, you, right? Yeah. Mostly Jewish, uh, <clears throat> Italian, Irish. Irish yeah. mm-hmm. You know what a good Irish name is, by the way, in the Northeast? McMahon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Good point. Um, There are local champions all along the rail lines stretching from New York to California. Most of the mechanisms, though, come from the Northeast. Okay? So it's a largely, as as an entertainment model, it's largely an urban Northeastern entertainment model. Okay. But the guys that keep being the champions are from Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, they're corn-fed farm boys. Well, yeah. Right? By 1919, Curly is taking wrestlers like Strangler Lewis, Vladek Zabisco, Joe Stetcher, um, and others all around the country touring and putting on fixed matches. Show off your stuff. Tonight, Vladek's going to win. Show off your stuff. Tonight, you know, Stetcher's going to win. When we come back through, you'll get your revenge match. Okay. People will pay a quarter for that. Competitions don't drum up money because they're boring as shit and they you, you can't guarantee drama. Mm-hmm. And this is, by the way, a criticism that uh, Paul Levesque, also known as Triple H, also known as mm-hmm. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, he's the guy who's kind of going to be the heir apparent to running the WWF mm-hmm. if Vince McMahon ever stops drinking the blood of virgins and dies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, uh, he actually criticized uh, MMA. Uh, for this he's like you you don't know what you're getting for a main event with us you know you're getting a good 20 minute match yeah with with mma it could be over in five seconds the moment somebody gets punched in the face right yeah so drama drums up money and by this point there is a championship there is a belt Mm -hmm. there are local championships there's all sorts of promoter wars too they have like these cabals set up something called the gold dust trio Oh my god. Which is made up of Billy Sando, Strangler Lewis, and Joe, nicknamed Toots, Mont. Okay. Now, Billy Sando, his name ends up getting used by a wrestler in the uh, last decade or so named Damien Sando. Okay. Uh, Gold Dust Trio, there's a wrestler that came onto the scene in the late 1990s named Gold Dust. Mm-hmm. So, again, what's old is new. Yeah. These guys controlled the title. They decided who it got dropped to, when it got dropped, and they worked the sport into a profitable work. So it was making them good money. And it always left the audience wanting to come back to see what would happen next. That's what they figured out. If you can leave the audience pissed, they'll come back to see their champion vindicated. Okay. And so on. You know, the, the, the drama is in the chase. Now, also, you get a few shoots. Mm-hmm. But those were accidental. That was like wrestlers going, oh no, I can fucking take this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what there, happens there to the sport. There would be a great Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> right? In in this. Like like, like oh, the brother, last oh, shooter? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. brother, where art thou? Right. Like, I, I'm... Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm seeing it just <laughs> happening. Let's write it up and pitch it to them. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, there's some terms you should probably know. A shooter is someone who wrestles for real. Okay. And if you notice who was mm-hmm. on this, this Gold Dust trio, Joe Mont, Toots Mont, he was a former pro. 
Strangler Lewis. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Billy Sando, uh, more the money guy. But uh, you would have something called a shooter, also known as a hooker, because he would know what part of your body to hook on the carnival circuit. You would have one of them be your champion, Mm -hmm. but he was in on it. Because if someone did try to, uh, what was called going into business for yourself, mm-hmm. if someone did try to do that, they'd be able to fight their way out of it. Mm-hmm. So it was still important to have good shooting skills, good mm-hmm. good hooking skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now it's mostly Northeastern using Western and Midwestern bodies. Now by 1925, enough of this organization becomes profitable that various promoters start staking out claims to various territories. And they have to work together to make money. Your champion's coming through here. I've got a champion who says he can beat him. Let's drum this up. You come through and beat him, but barely. And then on the way back, we decide then if you can beat. But you know, don't just destroy this guy. We don't. We're not going to let you wrestle him if you destroy him. But if you take him for forty minutes and then you barely squeak it out. You make our guy look better. People are going to want to come see him. Get ready for the return match mm-hmm. and so on. This territory system lasts until cable television. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this starts in 25 or so. Um, the various promoters set up a, a trust, an actual trust, called the National Wrestling Alliance, okay. the NWA, where they decided who the champ would be and who he'd drop it to. And each territory had their own shooters uh, who'd make sure that things went the way the promoters wanted. And if you went into business for yourself, there would be shooters there to greet you at the door and hand you your hat and probably your elbow. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. If you're the guy that beat the champion, mm-hmm. you're going to find work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Another territory will want you, mm-hmm. but they're going to you know, have a, a stern talking to with you. Yeah. Like, you will drop it when I tell you. Now, in 1930, this is when the NWA starts, right? And even that's a bit of a mystery. Some people say it started in 1948, which is, that's a hell of a gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's because in 1948, you have the first meeting of the, quote, board of directors okay. for the NWA um, to specifically determine who would do what. So it wasn't just through telegram or like send a letter with this guy or you yeah. travel with your guy. Others say it was in 1930 when Jim Laundis defeated, defeated Dick Chicot. Okay. Jim Laundis is a really important guy. He was one of the first. He was what was he called? The Greek Spectacle, something to mm-hmm. that effect. He was more bodybuilder than he was wrestler. Oh. So, so that's the beginning of that aspect of the entertainment of the. It's the it's it's another step down okay. that road that you can't come back from. Okay. Because previously, remember the Greco-Roman guys were bigger and beefier. Mm. Well, this guy was more cut too, sculpted. Right, but now spectacle matters more than wrestling whereas before mm-hmm. spectacle mattered in addition to the wrestling mm-hmm. and also it's he his career only succeeds if it's a work or I mean if it's a shoot mm-hmm. he's he can't work everyone mm-hmm. he can sh- uh, you know he can work everyone yeah, he, he can't, can't shoot. shoot right he can't shoot worth the tinker's cast yeah yeah now it was a loose agreement between various territories um, that they all recognize one champion so you would have a territory champion and you'd have a national champion. Okay. National champion would be on tour. He'd come through, make your territorial champion look like a million bucks, and then barely beat him. Or defeat him and just destroy him. It depends on how each guy related to the crowd. And now it matters relating to the crowd. Interestingly, 1930 versus 1948, you have the difference between a whole lot of things happening. 
all the depression. Right. Versus, you know, the beginning, the very earliest beginnings of television. Thank you. Exactly. But they... <clears throat> the the cool thing was is that like you travel around each each territory, you make the local looks good, you win and lose the way the promoters have determined. You yeah. do this for a couple of years usually, usually until yeah. like you get injured or you burn out. Each territory would eventually get its chance to win the championship. That's kind of nice, you know. Mm-hmm. You house yeah. the champion there, and then their champion would tour the country doing the same thing in turn. Right now, a lot of the NWA seemed to center in the St. Louis, Missouri territory. Okay, which I find interesting. Because Missouri has two national banks. The reason Missouri has two national banks is because they had two major rail lines for cattle. Okay. If you have two major rail lines for cattle, you also have an infrastructure set up where you are getting crisscrossed by trains all the time. Yeah. If you're getting crisscrossed by trains all the time, that's a lot of carnivals coming through. Yeah. So I'm just... Also, it bears pointing out... Uh, based on the structure of what we're talking about mm-hmm. here, that Missouri was a border state that had people uh-huh. fight for both sides in the Civil War. Yeah, they had two separate legislatures. <clears throat> yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. Which I <clears throat> talked about previously. Yeah. Um, a lot of your champions are also based out of the New York Territory. So you've got the New York Territory and the Missouri Territory. Now, again, Midwest, different system of wrestling. Mm. But it's also now very much the catch-as-catch-can mm-hmm. Submission and pinfall and everything's much more codified by this point, okay. right? So by yeah. the time you have the NWA, you have fallen away from. Um, Every time you say NWA, I, I picture Ice Cube. I, I'm having, <laughs> it's I'm a little sorry. different. I'm sorry. I know. Yeah, no. I know. But imagine anyway. my confusion moving to Florida and then being super into NWA, and it wasn't the NWA. NW, yeah, yeah, no, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. yeah, it's like why? Why are these guys who look like white truckers in in underwear? What 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 is what this? the hell? What yeah. the hell? Yeah. Um. So it, it makes sense, you know. Missouri's the center of the country. New mm-hmm. York is the largest urban area in the country, so you're going to get a lot of business. But here's what happens: each. So even though you have that difference between southern and western style, yeah, versus urban style, where it was style, 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 and technique, 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 versus. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah. Now, we've moved past that because everybody's in the working, not the shooting. Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't have shooters. Mm-hmm. But it's much more you. everybody who's at the top level, they can shoot, but they haven't had to for a long time. Okay. Okay. So what has fed this style in this region is the weight of history. Okay. But now it's a work. So how do you turn this brutal, I can fish hook you if I want style into a work, right? Because it, as it turns out, it's you make more money working the guy instead of actually brutalizing him completely. Well, yeah. So all these groups have their own style and all these crowds have been trained by that style. Yeah. Very much a symbiotic relationship. So yeah. these crowds... Um, draw toward certain types of wrestling. And so each territory has its own type of wrestling. And the champions come in, and he has to be able to adapt to that style in order to be a draw. Being a draw means you're making lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to read you a list of the wrestling territories, and I'll tell you where they're from. The Atlantic Grand Prix. This is all stuff in the NWA. The Atlantic Grand Prix uh, wrestling. Um, this was Moncon and Halifax. Okay. 
Canadian Athletic Promotions slash IWA slash Loot International slash Grand Prix Wrestling. This was Montreal. Okay. Now it's name changes. Northland Wrestling Enterprises. This was North Hudson Bay. Okay. Maple Leaf Wrestling, Toronto. American Wrestling Association, Minneapolis, but also included parts of Canada. Okay. Stampede Wrestling, Calgary. Makes sense. Right? Uh, it's Canada's <clears throat> version of Texas. Yeah. All-Star Wrestling, Vancouver. Okay. Pacific Northwest Wrestling, also known as Portland Wrestling, based out of Portland, Oregon. Big Time Wrestling, San Francisco. World Wrestling Association slash the NWA Hollywood Wrestling, Los Angeles. 50th State Big Time Wrestling, Polynesian Pacific Wrestling, Honolulu. Western States Wrestling Alliance, Phoenix. Western States Sports, Amarillo. Southwest Championship Wrestling, San Antonio. World Class Championship Wrestling, Dallas. Houston Wrestling, Houston. Tri-State Wrestling, also known as Mid-South Wrestling Association, Tulsa, New Orleans. Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling slash Continental Championship Wrestling uh, was was in Dothan. I couldn't Alabama. figure out. Yeah. That makes sense, Gulf Coast. Georgia Championship Wrestling, Atlanta. Champion re- Championship Wrestling from Florida, based out of Tampa. Okay. World Wrestling Council, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Oh. And oh my God, that was some brutal shit. I, I, I might get into that. <laughs> Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, also known as Jim Crockett Promotions later on, based out of Charlotte. Southeast Championship Wrestling, also known as uh, Continental Championship Wrestling, Knoxville. Uh, National Wrestling Federation, Buffalo and Cleveland. Uh, Worldwide Wrestling Federation. That's out of New York. Now, it used to be known as uh, Capital Wrestling, which was out of D.C. Hmm. And that was uh, Vince McMahon's father, Vince McMahon Sr. And then he moved it up to New York and and so on. Um, Big Time Wrestling is in Detroit. World Wrestling Association, Indianapolis. St. Louis Wrestling Club, St. Louis. NWA Mid-America slash Continental Championship Wrestling, Memphis. Also later on known as USWA, United States Wrestling Association. NWA Heart of America slash Central States, Kansas City. Okay. So you see that there's, that's the original territories. Okay. Okay. Now like any other group of territories, there's mergers, acquisitions, collapses, different people buy different things. And that doesn't include expansion into Japan and Australia, by the way. Okay. Now, hearing that list, you might notice that there's a lot in the southern territories. Yes. Um, Thirteen originally encompassed states that seceded from the Union. Thirteen. All right, so I have here this map, and nobody can see this um, on on the podcast, but I want you to kind of tool around. Yeah, and tell us, describe to us what you see. Okay. Um, A a lot of cartoony illustrations of some very beefy uh, gentlemen. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, now, actually, tell me about <clears throat> the beefy gentlemen. Look at their different builds based on the different regions they're in. Yeah, what I find uh, mm-hmm. really interesting is we have a whole bunch of very chiseled guys mm-hmm. in the north. Yeah. Uh, and in the southeast, <laughs> Dusty Rhodes looks like a sumo wrestler. <laughs> That's generous. Um well, you, I, I'm. He does. Yeah, he does. Um, and then, 
out out far west uh-huh. in California. Uh, mm-hmm. Pepper Gomez, yep. uh, Playboy Bunny Rose, and oh. Freddie Blassie yep. all again look pretty. Yeah, pretty now, chiseled. That's Playboy Bunny Rose when he was younger. You well, yeah. He later got fat and then used that as a gimmick. Oh, nice. And he would act. I got to figure out how to do. Oh, that. it's great. He would act vain as hell. Okay. But he would come out with his belt below his belly button line, so it's just like a Dunlap. <laughs> nice. It was hilarious. I, I also noticed this guy Vern Gagne, mm-hmm. who good old Vern, who who has a prodigious amount of chest hair. He's also bald. Yes, which is remarkable. Old man bald. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Dory Funk Jr. Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them looks a little bit Doughboy in this illustration. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of, uh, the most Jack LaLanne looking dudes mm-hmm. are concentrated in the farthest Northeast, Spectacle. well, the farthest North mm-hmm. across the board and mm-hmm. then out, out West with the exception of when you get far enough West, you get high chief Peter. Maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's, Car- and that's then the rocks. Grandfather. Grandfather. Yeah. Uh, who who looks you know like a athletic like an athletic Polynesian man? Yeah, Not, he's a Samoan. Oh yeah, yeah. Well yeah, and and having grown up out there, there are plenty of jokes and just you know common knowledges. There, mm-hmm. there are people you don't mess with because they're goddamn huge. Yeah. Um, well, and that's that's a thing in wrestling, by the way. Is yeah. like, oh, who are you wrestling tonight? This guy. Oh, he's a Samoan. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> Why? Oh, because they can go, like, and Samoan wrestlers, like, it's insane. So yeah, and and uh, a lot of blonde dudes, mm-hmm. like like a higher higher than I think the population proportion. And where are the blonde dudes concentrated? By the way, did you notice? Uh, an awful lot of them in the southeast. Yep, awful lot of them in the southeast. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some commentary to be made there. Uh-huh. I'm sure. Uh huh. Um, oh hey. Huh. Uh, Ricky Dozan, Giant Baba, now, Antonio Inoki. Those are some names. Giant yeah. Baba. I love it. Oh, Japan yeah. Pro Wrestling Alliance. All Japan. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know. No, those are re- two different. Real, yeah. real combat trying to make it look staged. And yeah. as I recall, Ricky yeah. Dozan was killed by the Yakuza. Okay. I could <laughs> believe that. Yeah. Because knowing what, what I know about, you know, yeah. Japanese pop. Now, I might have mixed him up with another fellow. But, <clears throat> it's, but it's, yeah. yeah. All right, so yeah, so this this looks that like something? a lot of fun, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and there's and the other the other thing that immediately jumped out at me was mm-hmm. the the level of density, yeah, um, is East Coast, yeah, versus West Coast, which just mirrors the population density in general. For, Absolutely, you know, as long as the country has been a thing, we call them Where flyover the states for a reason. <laughs> well, and did you notice the coloring behind each fellow? Yes, that that is was their region territory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so much much smaller territories out east. Mm-hmm. Much and bigger regions for each individual guy out west. Which was terrible for the wrestlers. Well, yeah. Especially once you got to the uh, era of um, of having cars, because mm-hmm. you would have to drive 500 miles to the next spot mm. overnight, and then get ready for the next spot. Mm. And wrestle and get your body beat up and then move on. And then, yeah. Wow. Which kind of explains why <clears throat> these guys are doughboys because they don't have time to get to a gym. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I can see that. So, yeah. 
Uh, now, like I said, that's a lot of southern territories. Yeah. 13 of yeah. the ones that I listed originally uh, were in states that seceded from the Union. Yeah. Only about four of those territories that I listed were in states that fought to keep the Union together. Yeah. Guess which ones were the most financially successful ones? I'm 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 picking up a psychic wave <laughs> that tells me it was also the southern ones. No. No, southern territories were not profitable, not for the wrestlers or the uh really. The right. Here's why. They didn't have infrastructure like the north did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So guess where most of your big stars keep coming from too? Northern promotion. Northern promotion because uh-huh. they have the money to, f- to push into training, into mm-hmm. promotion. Now, most of your okay. champions are going to come from the Midwest, but most of them will be prof- will have their professional roots in the North. Okay. Now, with the advent of the NWA, the advent of television, and the organization of it all, you start to see localized wrestling become even more localized because they didn't have national television yet. No. Um, TV was used to sell the local circuit, mm-hmm. which was interesting. So now the model is TV sells pay-per-view, and pay-per-view sells itself. You know, yeah. um, and, and you have what are called house shows. Those get you interested in what's going on on TV. Mm-hmm. So all the money's on the TV end. Back then, they used the TV to get you to go to the to local buy a show. To go to the exactly. Local. Um, and so the territories would run a circuit. So if you were in the California territory, you would do Mondays in Sacramento, Tuesdays in San Francisco, Wednesdays in Fresno, Thursdays in San Diego, Fridays on, you know. In, in L.A. Right. Um, and <clears throat> then you'd do the whole circuit again, you know. Now, I, I, it usually ran from about Thursday through Tuesday, you know, or through Thursday to Monday. So you, you definitely want to work the weekends. Oh. Yeah, it was brutal. God. And the San Francisco territory was a good territory to be in, actually. Okay. Um, because you weren't traveling that far mm-hmm. for any one, sh- any one shot. The okay. territories that were hell were the Memphis territories. Mm-hmm. These, uh, these ones, I, the, I'm pointing to a whole bunch of your flyover states, your rectangular states. They're all colored purple, and they're all the same territory. So you might have a spot here. In, uh, let's see, that's Colorado, right? So that would be... No, that's Colorado. You'd have a spot in Colorado one day, and then a spot all the way up here in Wisconsin the next day. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it was was bad. Uh, And so the TV would be used to advertise when the national champion was coming to town, too. Now, this takes us to what's called the territory system. To characterize the territories, a territory has its own character as a territory. The audience has been trained and and taught Mm -hmm. to accept a certain kind of thing. And each one had its own local approach that appealed to the locals. And it has its roots all the way back when wrestling was real. For instance, the type of local champion could tell you a lot about the territory. So could the types of feuds that they had. Okay. So, uh, feuds showed you how your good guys, also known as faces, and your bad guys, also known as heels, would fight. Okay. okay? And this is the whole point of the podcast, by the way. The whole okay. point. Whole point. Ties it back. Okay. To this. We have arrived. Being lost cause. Yes. Okay. It's only been three episodes. Three, yeah. 
In each territory, they were creating stories that answered to a local need. Yes. That appealed to the local zeitgeist. They were making compelling drama that the local folks would want to come back and see every week. TV was a tool that just furthered the house shows, not the other way around. Wrestling in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and early 80s was mostly local, as was its broadcast. I remember watching local. Have you ever watched local wrestling? No, I have not. It's dog shit. Um, (laughs) That's not entirely fair. Now it's better. But when I was little, it was dog shit. I watched uh, Northern California Wrestling, which wasn't part of the NWA. It was like CCW, I think it was. And I mean, I watched this guy came out with like two candles and a mask and he was called the Friar. And it was, I mean, it was just the most boring ass character. The, The lowest production value. It was just... It, but, you know, these things mm-hmm. don't make that much money. So yeah. I'm going to tackle the northern territories first, all right? So up here, um, we're, we're taking a look at the WWWF. Okay. Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Yes. Later shortened to the World Wrestling Federation because Vince yeah. McMahon Sr. was like, well, if it's on the world, we don't need to know that it's wide. And then there's the World Wrestling <laughs> that's Federation. A savvy, that's a savvy gentleman. He really right was. There, yeah. Now, later on, it turns into the... World Wrestling Entertainment yeah. because they lose a, uh, a a lawsuit to determine who gets to keep the name. The World Wildlife Foundation or, or, or the World WWE. Yeah. yeah. And frankly, frankly, they shouldn't have lost it. That decision was kind of made on moral grounds. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But whatever. So it's run by an Irishman. Yes. Who is the son of... Okay, so Vince McMahon, Vincent Jessup McMahon. Senior. Uh, yeah, so this is okay. Vince Sr. Even though a senior is normally you have the same name same, completely. Same name, yeah. His son doesn't have the same name. <clears throat> but yeah. It's like how we say Bush <clears throat> Jr. Yeah. He's not a junior. Yeah. But he's a Bush the second. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So Vincent Jessup McMahon yeah. is the son of an Irish boxing and wrestling promoter. Okay. So we are talking by the t- so you get to Vince McMahon, that's third generation. Vince McMahon's kids, Stephanie McMahon, that's a fourth-generation promoting job, mm. right? Family business. Little mom-and-pop shop. Um, mm. he, they start in Washington, D.C., and they migrated up the Beltway to settle in New York. Vincent Jessup McMahon, again, the senior, had a problem with the way that the NWA championship was being decided, and he basically ends up settling, setting up his own territory. He's like, I'm not going to be part of you guys. He will cooperate with them. He will co-promote with them on occasion. But by and large, the WWWF, later the WWF, exists outside of the NWA structure. Do you remember when there was talk in New York of seceding from the Union so they wouldn't have to put up with the slavery bullshit that was being foisted upon them by the federal government? Vaguely, yes. This echoes that. His territory was a face territory. And you could tell... So some territories are heel territories, where the main star is a bad guy. And some territories are face territories, where the main star is a good guy. This is the podcast. This is the point of it. So normally, in the New York territory, a good guy holds the championship. Their first major champion... And they had a couple other champions before this. But their first main one was Bruno Sammartino. Okay. 
Italian immigrant. Heard, heard his name from you. Oh yeah, in, in earlier episodes. Yep. Okay. Now Bruno San Martino uh, grew up very sick. Uh, his family hid in a cave when the Nazis invaded Italy. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, his mom would disappear for two days so that she could get food for them, so they wouldn't know if mom was living or dead. He was incredibly sick. They come over to New York. Gets beat up by bullies all the time. Finally starts working out. I mean, it's like straight up your Charles Atlas type stuff. Yeah. Ends up really working out a lot. Being one of the strongest men at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really liked him as a wrestler, quite honestly. He was a punch and kick wrestler. Um, not that exciting to me. Mm-hmm. But if you're Italian in New York, he's your guy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Italians in New York. So he's your guy. And he's huge. Um his family actually, yeah, like I said, uh, well, I jumped ahead of myself. Uh, so Bruno was champion for over seven years. Okay. That's unheard of. That's a, that is a long stint. From 1963 to 1971, he was the champion. He sold out Madison, Madison Square Garden 180 times. Holy cow. All right. Huh? He was huge in both ways. He was ethnically identified. And he did a lot of power moves. You're like, wow, he picked up that guy? Mm-hmm. Wow, he just threw that guy? And he sold tickets. And he was the template for good guys in that territory. Okay? Okay. Again, it's a face territory. And I'm going to get back to why that is in a bit. The guy who beat him was a guy named Ivan Koloff in 1971. Okay. A guy named Ivan Koloff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Beats him, right? Yeah. Cold War. They said Hi. that when that happened, you could have heard a pin drop. Like, Madison Square Garden went silent. <laughs> Koloff, I love wrestling fans. Yeah. I just want to say... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Koloff held the belt for about a month. <laughs> Of course. Right, because he's yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. This is not a heel this, territory. This is, no. The guy who beat him for it was a beloved man, an ethnic face, a guy named Pedro Morales, Puerto Rican. Yep. Another heel beats him. Interestingly, the heel that beats Pedro Morales is a Texas cowboy. Uh, and uh, I'm blanking on the name. I want to say it was Dick Murdoch, but it wasn't Dick Murdoch. It was Stan the Lariat Hansen. Um, he beats him and holds it for nine days. Then Bruno takes it back for another three and a half years. Holy cow. There's a pattern here. The heels hold it for just a little bit so you can transition. And they're called transitional champions. You can transition and then drop the championship to a clear fan favorite ethnic face. Mm-hmm. This continues... Until superstar Billy Graham. Okay. You may have heard of him. I'm not sure. Uh, vaguely. Yeah. I have a vague recollection of... Yeah. He uh, beats Bruno San Martino by clearly cheating. Okay. Gets his legs on the rope. Okay. Um, and he actually is the longest... I, I did the research on this one. He is the longest holding heel. Because he held it f- until 80. So he held it for a couple years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, so he holds it for, for a while, but until 1994, you don't have a bad guy holding the belt for longer than he, or forever, ever for that long, but no one, the, the next one to hold it as long, or, or at least even approaching that, is in 1994. Wow. 
That's a lot of faces mm-hmm. holding the belt for a much yeah. longer time, right? Now, in this territory, it's a northeastern urban setting. You're either what's called a white meat baby face, clear hero, good moral standing, or you're an ethnic champion. Okay. Those are the two things. <clears throat> or if you are a bad guy, you're transitional. Okay. Okay. And that's just, that's who's holding the belt. There's plenty of guys under the card who are doing different yeah, things. Yeah, okay, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's creative, but that's your formula. Usually, a foreigner who is underrepresented in the Beltway area. Russian or Japanese. Okay. Hulk or the Ho- transitionals. Right. Those are your okay. transitionals. Okay. Right. Hulk Hogan was made famous here. Okay. Okay. The kind of wrestling that is done is feats of strength, spectacle, minimal skill. Okay. Now, the undercard, plenty of skilled guys coming through, working, doing all kinds of things. Different guys doing different things. But your championship, punch and kick wrestlers, feats of strength, posing, spectacle. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay. Um... The babyface either um, dominated for the uh, dominated for most of the match, or he sold. Now to sell is to um, take damage and show it, okay. and really draw the crowd in. Yeah, you suffer stigmata. Yeah, so you either taking, taking the chair to the face exactly. Like yeah. oh my god, how is he going to get out of this one? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you're a babyface, you're either going to dominate almost entirely, or you're going to sell almost entirely. Okay. Hardly anything in between. Okay. Your faces are cartoonishly superheroes. Okay. Okay. Now you move to Detroit. Big time wrestling in Detroit, you have a rapid back and forth with a slew of faces coming out on top more often than not. Okay. So in New York, it's stability. It's only a few champions in the course of a, a decade and a half. In Detroit, you win it tonight, you lose it tomorrow, you win it back the next day. Okay. Right? It's just back and forth. Um, usually faces come out on top, but it's not always the same faces. It's a much more um, transitory uh, territory. Okay. At the top, even. Um, much more Midwestern, but it's still very Yankee because the good guys are winning. The good guys typically are sportsmen. Uh, fewer of them are identified by their ethnicity, although there was... More ethnic champions would come through. Bobo Brazil, Pomperno Firpo, both from South America, mm-hmm. interestingly enough. Um, not as huge as further east, like physically. Uh, not as white meat. Mm-hmm. Bad guys are typically personality-driven. They're not big hulking bodies. They're usually okay. personality-driven, like, oh, he's a dastardly guy. Oh, that's a chicken shit heel. Okay. A chicken shit heel is a guy who uh, basically, like, We'll take all the advantages when the ref's back is turned. Okay. And then, like, if you, you, like, turn around and you start getting really mad, he'll hide behind the ref. Okay. Shit like that, right? Okay. Really gets the crowd into it. Um, or they are, um, or you're an aristocratic heel, you okay. know, or, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds yeah, of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you're a foreigner from Germany. <laughs> Unreconstructed Nazis were really popular in the 50s. Really? Yeah. <laughs> And in Detroit, <clears throat> Arabs. Really? Yeah. Specifically Detroit. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what the driving... I'm not sure. It's demographic, as far okay. as I can tell. All because right. in in Michigan, you have some of the largest Arab populations in the United States. Okay. Canada has its own thing. I'm sticking mostly to the U.S. Okay. By contrast, <laughs> when you get to the Midwestern territories, St. Louis Wrestling Club. Yeah. Okay, so out there, um, they see a... St- 
ton of turnover at the, in, the, in his championship. Now this makes sense. Like I said, this territory covers a lot of ground. And it had the NWA coming through very frequently. This one, you know, the the, the WWF existed kind of outside the uh, outside of that. It was you could keep most of your wrestling in New York, mm-hmm. maybe up and down upstate New York, you know, just within a few states. Yeah. Um, but everybody wants to see the same story. Also, the network broadcast would would reach that area. Mm-hmm. Here, same amount of areas being reached, but you have multiple towns mm-hmm. way far out, so you have to kind of replay everything for them. So. The territory covers a lot of ground, and the NWA is coming through there a lot more frequently than the WWF. Um, and it was a fairly even split between faces and heels holding the belt. Uh, you said a border state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Up north, baby faces are coming out on top mm-hmm. more often, right? Um, the guys that are actually wrestling, your faces were regular-looking guys. But maybe a little taller. Okay. They were the guys that you'd see working at the feedlots. They looked like that. Okay. Uh, but they were all technically very adept. They were good technical wrestlers. And they're often farm kids with a pen shot for wrestling. Okay. Uh, who learned submission at wrestling via the carnivals. Okay. That's kind of what you see. Uh, the heels were very often monster heels. So you got a guy comes through and he's six foot six and he just destroys people okay. until you got the one baby face who's not gonna take it. <clears throat> okay. Nice. And then the baby face gets his ass kicked anyway. But oh. then the baby face is gonna go and gets, yeah. gets back around later. Right. Okay. Or you have a lot of chicken shit heels. Okay. So you either have monsters or chicken shits in the St. Louis territory. <laughs> not much else. You either have a guy who nobody could beat, and oh my god, who's gonna save us from this? menace oh, okay or a guy who sneaks out of every match and how the hell did he win again uh-huh. that son of a bitch the crooked duh, duh, duh. yeah huh something you want to say um it's formulating Keep okay going. this absolutely goes back to your carnival roots mm-hmm. railroads influence in the territory yeah now you get to the southern end of the nwa now before i get to the rest of the south i have to touch on texas because texas is a mite different um so i'm gonna talk about texas first texas had Three, I actually say four known territories in a state. Um, one of them is is El Paso, and that's run by the Guerrero family. Gory Guerrero. His name was Gory. <laughs> that's how brutal it was. Yeah. And he had uh, the, the he had five kids: Hector, Mondo, Chavo, I forget the other one, and Eddie. Okay. Okay. All right. Then they had kids. Chavo had another kid. And Eddie and Chavo were like three years apart. Chavo okay. Jr., right? Eddie Guerrero, you may have heard his name. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. I, sounds familiar. Very famous family. Um, that's the El Paso Laredo crowd. And that is luchador loving. And luchador wrestling is a totally different beast. It's its, its own kind of crazy. Yeah, oh, boy, howdy. Um, Soap opera. But like, like it's, it, yeah. it, it strikes me as being the wrestling version of telenovela. Yeah. Like, like, how crazy does an American soap opera get? Right. Okay, let's put that in a pot mm-hmm. with some habanero peppers yep. and crank the heat up to 11. And then what comes out is... You're rubbing someone's eye. Is, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, and, and yeah. you have telenovela or... Yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's yeah, luchador. 
which is yeah. so much fun to watch. But like, it's, and and while you say that, at the same time, they're just now like starting to institute <clears throat> different kinds of psychology into the wrestling. I mean, it's just such a different beast. Yeah, um, Mexican wrestling is is very largely influenced by Spanish bullfighting. Okay. Carnival and circus entertainment, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and also Puerto Rican vengeance-based wrestling. Okay. Puerto Rican wrestling is all about vengeance and shit happening outside of the ring. Oh my god! Like they they advertise one match by crashing a car into one of the wrestlers. It was insane. Like and 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 it started a fucking riot. Like, <laughs> wow, that was all their right. hero. Yeah, Holy Carlos Colon. I mean, it was nuts. Okay. All right, so very high flying, very technically adept faces. Yeah. Your your heels are very rule breaking and thuggy, okay, and very, very bloody. Okay, the bullfight. Yeah. Uh, another Southwest Championship wrestling um, was a heel territory. Okay, so that's down here. Um, yeah, the Tully Blanchard territory. Okay. Um, this means that the champion is more often than not a bad guy, and he holds his title by cheating. Okay. Okay. Now notice what's happening. Just see if the pattern fits. Still, there's a lot of turnover, but the heels tend to keep the title for longer than the faces do. Okay. The heels were either brawlers okay. who were bloodlusty, like guys like Dick Slater or Dory Funk, okay. where they would just mash the shit out of people, and they okay. just like didn't stop. And that was the okay. thing. like You won, and then you go, and you get your branding iron, and you shove it in the guy's face, and you keep beating him with it. Wow. Yeah. like right. like, Or they were chicken shits. Who were technically very sound wrestler. My favorite example of this is Tully Blanchard. Okay. There was a match, and it was it was a gimmick match. It was a ten on ten. Um, yeah, it was ten on ten. It was five tag teams on each side. So the guys are just lining the ring, and it was during a um, a Survivor Series, and it was an elimination okay. match. And if you get pinned, you and your partner both have to hit the showers. Okay. So you know it it could get to the point where you got ten guys against two guys. Okay. You know, um, great drama. Tully Blanchard would, uh, he got tagged in, and, you know, the other guy's like, all right, come on. And Tully Blanchard walks in and walks right to the other side of the teams on his side and tags the next guy. <laughs> no contact and got one of the biggest pops of the night. A pop is where the crowd goes apeshit yeah. for you, right? And everybody just starts booing the shit out of him. <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> He didn't get touched. He didn't touch anybody. It was amazing. But he, but he, but he walked away as the one everybody was talking about. Exactly. Which, yeah. He got the crowd invested in seeing him get his ass kicked. And that's what heel territories do. Yeah. yeah. Right? Now, he would out-wrestle someone, and then he'd cheat anyway. That was his thing. Um, now, in San Antonio, there's a fair amount of rich landowners. Mm-hmm. who often would swindle people out of their hard-earned money. Mm-hmm. So if you see them succeed a lot, that's going to drive the audience up to like this fever pitch where they would get vindicated when they saw the face win, even if it was for a small amount of time. Yeah. Then a brawler would come by and take it away from him. Mm-hmm. You're like, damn it, justice was served, and then just yeah. someone else made an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Setting up another chase of good old boy mm-hmm. or Mexican cowboy. Oh. As a good guy, uh, like Manny Fernandez, mm-hmm. um, and they would eventually win out against him with courage and gusto, and they'd barely mm. scrape by, and then somebody else would just come and fuck them over, and, mm-hmm. and you yeah. just so it's always that way. And and so the heroes are always long suffering. 
Mm-hmm. And short rewarded. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, Spanish missionaries being down there. Mm-hmm. You know, also white folk going there to yeah. steal it from Mexico. Yeah. So you get a lot yeah. of, okay, yeah. you know, Davy Crockett, Yeah. you know, really Jim strong, Bowie. Yeah, really, mm-hmm. really strong Catholic element to Yeah, the bloodletting. That's yeah. what you see in yeah. the, the yeah. Puerto Rican and, and Mexican terrain. Yeah. yeah. Right. World-class championship wrestling was really weird. It's based out of Dallas. Okay. It was a face territory, but largely because of the Von Erich fa- family. Now, the Von Erich family was five brothers, very handsome fellows, all part of the Von Erich family. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. They are. All of them are dead now because they've all killed themselves, except for one. Kevin Von Erich is the only one that stayed alive. One of them died from a flesh-eating bacteria over in Japan. The rest killed themselves. Their father, Fritz Von Erich, wrestled in the 50s as an unreconstructed Nazi. And he had this move where he would grab your stomach. Okay. And just like tear into your abdominal muscles. Ah, uh, you know. Okay. Um, I just watched one of his matches just recently too, mm-hmm. and he he would stalk the ring, and he was big and bald and scary. And anyway, he moved to Texas. He started up the territory, or he took over the territory, and he like pushed his sons way too hard. Oh, is really what okay. it was. Right. Okay. So it was a face territory because of the Von Erichs and Dallas. Loved their Von Erichs. Mm. Loved them. Now, they weren't unreconstructed Nazis. They were handsome Dallas cowboy types. Not okay. even cowboy. A couple of them, as you can see, are wearing cowboy boots and, yeah. and stuff. But mostly there's like really good guys. Very white meat baby face. Um, they feuded with heels who came in from Georgia. Hmm. Georgia, Texas have a rivalry. Yeah. And other southern states. So they're feuding with southerners. Texan identity being very right. distinct. We were our own right. country. Don't any of you fuckers forget that. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Right. And they're in Dallas, which is a pretty big metropolitan area. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they were huge into... Relatively some... urban and yeah. recently, in recent history, blue voting. Yeah. As compared to rural Texas. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, they were also really big into tournaments. I found okay. in my research. Just tag team tournaments. Okay. Championship tournaments. And, and just, you know, working <clears throat> your way up the ranks. Okay. Right? Um, they're also really into bloodletting. Okay. Uh, just people would be bloody as all hell all the time. Okay. Um, and uh, faces generally would come out on top. They'd be bloody on their face. Mm-hmm. Like they, like you, you, like you could look up a bunch of wrestlers who wrestled in that territory, and you see them now, and their face, their foreheads are just scarred back and forth. Looks like mm-hmm. just tons of scar tissue. Um, but they would come out on top, but uh, they prevailed against the non-Texans coming mm-hmm. in and trying to take over. Okay. Bad guys were also often Russian because Cold War. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to generalize because I can. You'll see that the NWA, WCW, Mid-Atlantic story play out over and over and over again. Okay. Okay. The scrappy, well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. The NWA, the, the, the ones who carried the banner for the NWA yeah. by the 1970s and 80s includes, because by that point, television is able to reach broader. Things are much more established. Mm-hmm. It's not as carny. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's actually also more niche by that point, but they're able to target okay. their audience and their demo a little bit better. NWA includes the Mid-Atlantic Georgia Championship Wrestling and uh, later turns into the WCW, 
World uh, Championship okay. Wrestling. Yeah. In about 1991. It was a heel territory. That was mine. Okay. Um, heels were often introduced as being simply from a northern state. Like... That was all it had to be. That's kind of all from, it did, from, yeah. From Minnesota. Or New York. Or New York. Those two places, straight up. Like, you like had, I got it in one, Yeah, Minnesota, you did. Really? You really? Yeah. So Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson came from came from Minnesota. They were billed as being from Minnesota. How can anybody named Ole Anderson be a fucking heel? I'm he, sorry. He was. I'm sorry. Ole Anderson, mm-hmm. Ole Anderson is one of two things. Yeah. One of two things. He's either a 400-pound... Mm-hmm. You know, farm blonde-haired, blue-eyed farm boy who just came in from the country and doesn't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> or you got him physically, or, but yeah. Or he's a Lutheran bachelor farmer, a la uh, Lake Wobegon. Okay, he's in, kind of both. Which, you know, I mean, but he's a bad like, guy. He's a cranky ass bad guy, and his younger brother Arn. Okay, they the weren't actually ass, brothers. Okay, the but, cranky yeah. ass part, mm-hmm. Lutheran, Lutheran yeah. being Lutheran. It, okay, the cranky ass part, <laughs> I buy, but I okay. <laughs> Tell yeah. me more, because now you've got me hooked. Sure. How the fuck can a guy <laughs> named Ole Anderson be a heel? He he was nasty. He fought nasty. He fought dirty. Um, and and that's that's what he did. And so. he's in hell now because he's a Lutheran, and he did that. <laughs> he's still alive. Okay. Um, but he, he, he and his brother, okay. his quote brother, quote brother. yeah, um, they were heels from Minnesota. They were the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. And they would essentially just cheat a lot to win. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've met yeah. too many people from Minnesota to believe the idea of a Minnesota wrecking. Anyway, continue. They have two seasons sorry. there. <laughs> Construction and winter. So, you know, wrecking crew. Okay, okay, okay. But yeah, or they're billed from being from New York. And they're usually, here's the best part, aristocrats of some sort. Now, Ole and Arn weren't, but okay. they worked with an aristocratic right. bad guy. Oh, uh, okay. And they usually had managers... Little weedy guys who who couldn't wrestle, uh, but were scheming mm-hmm. no good Nick mm-hmm. bastards. You remember how uh, you could get out of serving in the war in the north? Yeah, by by buying buying a deferment and paying for somebody else to go fight in your mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Yeah. So they also usually had a faction or a stable of wrestlers. Mm-hmm. These managers did who. Su- who supported them and helped them cheat. So you have this aristocrat who's backed up by like three or four guys. Or they were foreigners. Again, Russians. Yeah. The best example of this would, of course, be Ric Flair. Yeah. And the Four Horsemen. So Ric Flair, originally from Minnesota, later found his way to Charlotte. Charlotte, uh, But Charlotte is an aristocratic town like crazy too, right? Uh Uh, But Ric Flair... Um, accompanied by the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Arn and Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. This was a pack of bad guys who fought hard. They bloodied everybody they fought. They bled a lot. And they generally would find a way to walk away with the title. Mm-hmm. Now, there are multiple titles, by the way. Yeah. Um, there's the champion, the world championship. There's the tag team championship. And there's something called the television championship. There's also a thing called the United States Championship. Okay. So, and United States Championship, it goes World United States Television. Okay. They almost always had four of those belts. With Ric Flair having the championship, Uh Arn and Tully or Arn and Ole, kind of depended on if Ole was with them or not, Uh having having the tag team and then Tully or Arn 
again, depending on who who had it, he having either the U.S. or the uh, the television championship. Okay. Flair made his residence Charlotte, which is a rich person's town. Now, in this territory, the good guys rarely got over on the bad guys mm-hmm. at all. They were often the good guys were often solitary heroes, fighting viciously, but fighting with honor. Okay, explain to me what that means in this context. Fighting viciously but yeah. fighting with honor. Meaning, meaning, meaning you, you go they, in trying to fight the right way. Uh, okay. But you get pushed just a little too far and you got to let loose and be brutal. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. They'd lose a lot along the way. They'd get screwed out of the title by the manipulation of the rules or gang fighting tactics or mm-hmm. you know cheating when the ref's not looking. Or they would get injured before the match. And get attacked before the match. They come out limping, so they're not at their best for the their big match. And now mm. it's, oh, man, you're going down swinging, though. You're going down swinging. The heels would brutalize the faces to get simply what are called sympathy shines on mm. the faces. And to get a lot of what's called heat on the heels. Mm-hmm. Okay, The wrestling here was violent. Okay, It was bloody. And it's not uncommon to see blood in the opening couple of matches. When you're watching, really? yeah. And the last match almost always ended with blood and controversy all at once. Um, Jim Crockett, who was himself an aristocratic, wise-ass heel manager, um, he said it, uh, like I said, it's simulated combat designed to look like a real fight. Mm-hmm. It was ugly, though. I mean, it was really, it looked like a fight. It didn't look like a match. It looked like a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it had some technical merit, absolutely. You start technical mm-hmm. and then it ends brawly, right? Everyone could go. Everyone could do this but matches regularly devolved quickly into brawls uh which saw the heels getting away with the title again mm-hmm. right so the rules go out the window okay yeah um and faces would win very rarely and when they did their reigns would always be short and they would lose their belt through chicanery cheating and they, they would lose all of it and then they would um essentially kind of fade away Oh, wow. Or they'd make one last failing attempt, and then they would fade away. Um, What would really happen is... Literally a lost cause uh attempt. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Sometimes a monster heel would establish himself. Sometimes. It was rare. Um, But mostly it was the aristocratic and or northern heel who screwed the face out of his title. Okay. Wasn't fair. And the people paid good money to come back every week to follow the face's journey which was ultimately doomed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, we have gone pretty far, and I finally caught you up to this part of it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to stop the episode here. Okay. Um, uh, and then I will take you further into it, and yeah. some really good details that kind of okay. back up what we're saying. So, uh, but before I do, what'd you learn so far? What'd you like? What'd you not like? What'd you shocked by? Um... Well, the, it, this whole journey has mm-hmm. been um, an, an amazing foray for me into a branch of our shared popular culture as mm-hmm. a country mm-hmm. that I really did not know anything about. And who controls so, the stories controls the culture. Yeah, well, yeah. And, um, and this is a vulgar story. Yes, yes. This it's is, told yes. to the Vulgate. This is, yeah. Um uh, and frequently it's vulgar in the you know more, mm. more oh, normal Jesus you ordinary see some sense of, the of vulgar yeah but uh, the yeah just just the depth of 
how much there is to it mm-hmm. is a real revelation. And we're we're going to circle back around mm-hmm. to how the brutality of Western wrestling mm-hmm. came from the brutality of living on the borders. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and how that fed into how the yeah. South fought the war. Yeah, and by the way, the North fought the war the exact same way. It's not like the South. You know what I mean? Like they yeah, didn't, they well, also yeah. didn't follow rules either. Yeah, well, it's, you yeah, know, nobody you, did. They just had really, more people. They just yeah. well, it's no. That's the, see, look at that lost cause just seeps right into the narrative. True. Yeah, but yeah, it's we're and when, we're gonna yeah when when we're when, what I what I'm referring to is yeah. this is long before Geneva Convention or anything like that. There, yes, there was not a a unified set of okay. No, look, we're not. Right. These are things we're not gonna do. Yeah. So so. But yeah, so yeah. Uh, when we get into it, uh, yes. we'll eventually get into uh, the the 80s and the 90s, yeah, um, and how it really expresses itself in the transition into the what uh, I'm what late I'm looking 90s. forward. This isn't so much what I've learned mm-hmm. so far, but what I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about mm-hmm. is how that southern narrative mm-hmm. has become part of the mainstream narrative. Yes. Now that wrestling is is a is a unified thing under yep. the or or within our zeitgeist, it mm-hmm. is this unified thing under the control of the oh. McMahon family. Yep, and and how you know Stone Cold Steve Austin mm-hmm. and The Rock's change from being what he was when he first started his career right. into what he became later on. Oh yeah. How how that fits into this whole thing as part of our national zitgeist? It's it's in. not going to cheer you up. No, I'm sure it it's, won't. It's but it'll be, be fascinating ugly. to go there. Oh, absolutely. All right. So, uh, any any pluggables, or do we want to just uh, get onto the Twitter and get off of the podcast? Um, I'm gonna again plug how the Scots invented the modern world because it's a fascinating piece of history. Okay. Um, and you know my own family being. You know where they're from. Sure. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by it, and I think it's it's well worth taking a look at. Okay. I'm going to plug uh, a graphic novel this week um, called Berlin um, by Jason Lutz or Lutes. Um, partly because I went to Berlin this last mm-hmm. summer, um, but it is uh, just it, it's I mean it's called a masterful narrative by the blurb on the front. It's true. Like uh, the the medium is is easy. It's accessible, um, and it's it's just amazing in the way that it it basically gives you a history of the city of Berlin, mm-hmm. going all the way back from the early 1900s to now, and how they deal with the rise of fascism, the fall of the Weimar, the rise of fascism. Um, uh, the 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 bombings, the destruction, the destruction of the, of the city, and then the rebuild under two flags, mm-hmm. and then the rebuild after they get together. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's phenomenal. It's such a such a good book. Okay. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Duh Harmony, um, and you can find me on Twitter at at e h Blaylock. Yeah, and you can find us on Twitter at at a at geek history time and uh until next time i'm damien harmony i'm ed blaylock and may all your d20 rolls come up 20